Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome, everybody, to Snark Monkey Number 6 with Gary Kroger. I love this episode. It is riftastic, for one. We have so much fun. Gary Kroger, for a short period of time, three seasons, was a cast member of Saturday Night Live. Plucked from obscurity with close friends Brad Hall and Julia Louis-Dreyfus out of sketch comedy in Chicago, the soon-to-be saviors of this hallowed brand in comedy, and then suddenly thrust into the spotlight, but in the shadows at the same time, of breakout stars like Eddie Murphy or uh, Billy Crystal, Martin Short, but forever branded with that logo of SNL somewhere on your showbiz resume, which can give you a certain cachet. And then we hear about his travels through, his unusual travels through the business. And then, what if you just decide at one point, you know what, I'm just going to drop out and live some kind of normal life. Such a fascinating story and so much fun with no bitterness or negativity I, I just love Gary's attitude, and he's really, really funny. And I think you're going to be, especially if you're an SNL nerd like I am and want to hear some of the inside dirt about what that world was like, especially around that time, you're going to get it here. Plus, his travels through the business, a, a George Hamilton reference in here. Oh, yeah, we go there. <laughs> it's so much fun. By the way, we also riff a little bit on the word P-R-E-S-C-I-E-N-T. So before the trolls in the comments start, I just want to let you know, I've looked it up, and apparently there are multiple pronunciations of the word. Everything from prescient to prescient to, uh, you know, uh, let's just say that I'm right, and Gary's right, and my pronunciation, probably the most preferred. Let's just leave it at that. All right, so here we go. Very fun. Snark monkey number six. Let's go. Here's Gary Kroger. These be my cans? Uh, yeah, you can throw those out if you want. Do you like cans? I do, I do. I, I bet you to, do. I feel like more like I'm, you know, sort of a microphone. Uh, hey, Gary Kroger. Hey, how are you? I uh, can't remember the last time we actually saw each other, and I don't want, like doing the math. It was the bathhouse. It was, nope. No, nope. that's nope. not it. No, nope, that wasn't me. Um, it was 2003. The last time I saw you was when we were doing the, uh, the, 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 the film. 
Yeah, we did. We shot a little something um, that uh, I was quite prescient about. Prescient. Yeah. Wow, what a precious word, if you will. Well, thank prescient. you. I'm not even sure I'm using that right. I say prescient, and I think I'm wrong. No, I I could be very wrong. No, you're probably right. Me not good with words. <laughs> me me even worse. Per- well, well, considering I'm a broadcaster, that's a bad thing. <laughs> and I have an English major, but yeah, you know, well, all right. Well, <laughs> you, okay. You, listen you know, to the what, standard is low. Listen to what you just said. I have an English major. Does <laughs> that? There you go. Does that me, make me sense? Graduated. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, let, let's start with. Uh, let's literally start from the beginning because. Um, by the way, how are you enjoying being back in the world of of sin and humiliation and uh, degradation of Hollywood? Uh, it's a very prescient uh, impression <laughs> of Dante's third level of hell. <laughs> you, know, you know, let me preface something here, Larry. People think that I'm a stand-up comic. I'm not. I've never done stand-up comedy. I, I did it once, and I failed miserably. You were more of a sketch yeah, improv yeah, but, guy? But just so you know, very often I find that when I'm interviewed or even with friends talking, you know, I'll say something, and I see them kick back into, oh, we're going to get his stand-up. Like we're going to get a routine right, like, here. Because you asked me how I'm feeling about L.A., and I was about to launch into the traffic, and I just knew you were going to think, oh, we're going to get his crazy traffic routine. Oh, here's the bit. Right, here's the bit. There's no bit. <laughs> but you asked me the question. I left here 11 years ago largely because of the traffic. I was working, and I left because of the traffic because there's this, this ratio that you have to weigh in your life. How much time am I living? How much time am I spending in my car not living? Yeah, and when you see the stats on that, it's mind-boggling how many years right. if you, if I you was live in your my life car here. minimum three hours a day. Minimum three hours a day. Now, you're looking at that like, well, three hours a day? Hell, that's half of what I spent. I mean, three hours a day in my car not playing with my kids. Right. You know, and so I said, I'm going to take whatever skill set I've developed, which is still in question, and and take it to a place where there's less, where there's parking. Yeah. And I went to the Midwest. <laughs> well, this is where you're from, right? Yeah. I mean, you did you grow up? Were you born there? Where were you born? I was born in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Okay, and that is where you are I am now. now yes. So you literally have gone back exactly. home. Exactly. I went back home. And how is that? Well, it's very strange, and I don't even have a, a, a cute way to tell the story. I was here for 20 years. Right. And... Uh, and we work together. We'll get into some of that, you yeah, know. And and, totally. and 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 actually, you know, I always had this um, below the B grade of career. You know, there's, I've never had an A level career. I wouldn't say I was C, but I was B minus, high C's. You've done some high profile stuff. I've done some high profile, but yes. what I did was work consistently. Yeah, which was. Always, that was my goal. That's a that's an accomplishment, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because uh, a lot of the people I talk, I'm going to talk to on this podcast have reached a level of success in their profession. It doesn't necessarily mean huge celebrity, right. but working consistently is a major accomplishment. So, kudos to you. <laughs> kudos, precious. Oh my goodness! I know. <laughs> um, well, I've run out of my big words. By the way, well, we're done. And and. So I, I don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I, 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 my only goal was to work. Right. And so I'm a Midwestern kid, and I go, well, I can write, so I wrote. I, I'm pretty good at talking to people, so I did audience warm up. Um, hey, I'm kind of glib, so I was a, 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 a game show host. Hey, I'm a pretty good actor, so I got some jobs. Yeah. I'm kind of a funny guy, got some comedic jobs in SNL. So I never cared about. Well, if you do that, Gary, you're going to be pigeonholed into this area, and you, if you do TV, you can't do. I didn't care. I right. Didn't care. You just wanted to work. I just wanted to work. So I was successful at that. And you were also lucky that you could have that kind of variety of skills because uh, you're right. A lot of people go, I'll only do serious drama or I'll only do television or I mean, I'll only do film. I, I used to say anything but porn, but still. 
still send me the script? <laughs> let me let me look at it. It might be, you know it might be the guy that sets up the pool boy right. and doesn't actually have a. Right. You know, I don't nudity. know what your porn name is, but I'm searching Gary Kroger. Uh, we're we're going to go with Johnny Wrangler. How's that? How's that? Does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you there's an app for porn names, isn't there? Oh, oh yeah, that's like right. Like your, your your first pet's name and the street you lived on. I think that's know? what it was. I would be Peanut Clark. Yeah, <laughs> my... I would be uh, I would be Kildare Twenty First Street. So that <laughs> well, make, makes no sense. Hotter than Peanut Clark. I think. <laughs> so anyway, yes. as we were waxing, um, <laughs> careful. Uh, <laughs> we were. I, so I looked at my life and go, okay, I, I didn't get everything that I wanted. I, I you know I didn't get a sitcom or anything like that. I didn't, d- didn't fulfill the dream, but I go, okay, I, I, I want to live now. I had kids. You know the story. Uh, this chemical reaction happens on my life now is to protect this thing that will kill itself if I don't. Right. And that's all I cared about. That became the priority. And so I moved out. I literally moved out of Beverly, loaded up the truck. And it was more like Sherman Oaks. <laughs> it was right down the street. Actually. Yeah, I know. And, um, <laughs> and, and I got a great job in advertising. Um, so I went from – here's the thing, people who are listening and taking notes. You're surviving here. Unless you're able to live in La Cañada and the limo picks you up, but you're surviving. You might be having a great time at times, but you're surviving. You're dealing with bad air. You're dealing with bad traffic. You're dealing with crappy schools in terms of the public schools. Yeah, constant stress. Constant Even stress. though you were consistently working – the it, it didn't outweigh all the other stuff that weighed on you. Right. right, and the other thing about consistently working is there's no level that you re- oh he's a consistently working person. Every time you're not working, you're not you're consistently not working. Right, right. So I didn't want to worry about the kids' braces and things like that, and I didn't want to worry about him jumping over the fence where there are 12 million people, 30 percent are pedophiles. I just didn't want to worry about that anymore. Right. So I took what I had and I moved to the Midwest. And overnight, I'm sitting on the, the front porch of my – and I'm not bragging here, but this is what it was. In fact, the, the, the story takes a terrible left turn real soon. <laughs> I'm sitting on an acre where I had a brook where deer would run through oh. and a tree fort with a slide and a five-bedroom house with a basement, you know, 3,000 square feet of a colonial in a beautiful neighborhood and great schools – and I'm a job where I do commercials. You know, I use my skill set. I right. do television, radio commercials, blah, 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 that, blah. You sa- it sounds like you described a movie set. We're out of the woods. Yeah, I did. <laughs> in a town that put there. There was a headline in the local paper. Gary Kroger's coming back. I mean, I, I swear there was a parade. And I'm still cashing in on that equity, by the <laughs> way. Good. You know, and have you the, paid for, uh, you know, your, your sandwich or your drink lately? Ra- no, I'm not, I don't have to. I mean, look. <laughs> My SNL career in the real world is like, again, uh, it's barely a footnote in the book. But in Cedar Falls, Iowa, he's the SNL guy. Yeah. It, I still get mileage. I get mileage in bar. I get mileage on dates because here's the left turn. I'm in this idyllic world, and then two years later, my wife left me. Oh, heavy me. He inhales. Wow. wow. Yeah, and, and, not, that was, and, not, and you would think in Hollywood that's way more typical. But in freaking Cedar Falls, yeah. Iowa, everything's, like you say, idyllic, perfect, picket right. fence, lovely wife. Uh, yeah. Do we want to get in? Oh, yeah. I don't. You know, it's just it's ducks too bad. Ugly. Ducks it's bad. too ugly. All right. No, it's let, not that ugly. Let's go back 
to the very beginning then, since we're talking about Cedar Falls, you, that's where you were born. Yeah. How, uh, what, what, uh, uh, how old were you when you were born? <laughs> See, I'm such a good oh, interviewer. Good. I, I know. Say, I mean, this Larry, is the kind of stuff. Good. Nobody thinks to ask these things. What did your parents do? My father was an engineer for John Deere, which is a, a prestigious career in the Midwest. You know, John Deere tractors are huge gigantic. Brand there. I mean, huge brand, absolutely well, huge brand worldwide. Sure, he was a you know an, an engineer. That's the that's the white collar. You know, he designs these things. So he he was a, a very remarkable man. A great career there. My mother's always been a school teacher. So I, I grew up in a very. My older brother is a nuclear physicist. What? My younger brother keeps collecting degrees from various universities. I mean, I come from a brilliant family. Now, so I'm not in, saying I am. I am. I am. I am the mistake. I'm the no, thing no, that no, no, no. That. You're a smart guy, but it's actually I've noticed this in other interviews, uh, even another podcast, that often uh, the offspring of school teachers will very often get into the arts. I'm not really sure what that connection is, but that seems to be fairly consistent. Was there, I mean, so you don't have entertainers in the family. Uh, no, there are no entertainers. I they... have a family of nerds. These are people that, that that come up to people like you going, you know, you ought to do a sketch on engineers. Uh, we're a funny bunch there. You know, those people. And there's nothing funny about them at I'd, all. I'd watch that sketch. You know, went to the bank, and now let me tell you this funny story that <laughs> happened to me. Why don't you do something on that on the Saturday night show? Well, it was somebody funny. It was was but, mom or dad funny? No, there's no, no funny in my no, family. No, no, only funny. Was I, there I music? The, was there laughter? Was they there... are tone deaf? They are they're they're brilliant. My my brother can tell you why sand exists. I mean, I you know, he, are you sure you are related to them? Look at the family pictures. That's the thing. We all have the same nose, eyes, and ears. So all yes, right. they, they are yes. So when was it that you knew that you were this aberration in the Kroger? I, well, you, here's family. what happens. Here's By what the way. Is it uh, how many other siblings? I have an older brother and a younger brother. Okay, so it's three guys. Uh, I think what happens, uh, you know, Larry, I wouldn't be too surprised if I'm telling your story here. You know, to some degree, we all have some, you fill in the gap. They didn't need any more intelligence in my family. <laughs> they didn't need, you know, there was nothing needed except maybe some laughs at the dinner table. You, you know You what? fill in the gap. You're absolutely right. Because that's, I, I, was, was, I was middle kid, uh, but it was old, older sister, younger sister. Uh, my dad aspired to be a songwriter, but he was a car salesman. And my mother played piano, but you know th- that was the extent. And my and my older sister, very accomplished musically, uh, even as a child. But uh, I was the goofy, silly one, the and goofy one. the only one that was that. My ridiculous. mother likes to tell this story. And there's no story, but she, she she used to just laugh at everything I did. I mean, I could poop my pants and use it as you know, and, and she would laugh at everything I so did. So there was not that much eye rolling. You were entertaining. To I, them. I was entertaining. Okay. And, and my mother would laugh, and my father would say, "Donna, don't laugh. At him. <laughs> you'll you'll turn him into a clown. <laughs> you'll encourage. You'll encourage them. And you know, uh, Larry, I know you know this. And look at the people that we know. We know. We know. We know this. Yeah, yeah. When you get some reinforcement as a child, especially a laugh. It's like, why, why, why did you, I'll bet your first joke was falling down. Because we're not supposed to fall down. It's the first joke when you're in first grade. Oh, look, I fell down because we're not supposed to fall down. So that's funny. And the little girls laugh. Oh, my first, I, I will tell you, because I'm not a, a natural comedian, but I do have that, that sensitivity and that sensibility of, I remember when I got a laugh and it was an accident. It was a talent show at my church. We are living penicillin. Yes. We were not the intention, but the accident turned into who we are. I did something. It was a subtle move. I did something that I personally thought was kind of funny, but I didn't think that. And it got the biggest laugh of this whole thing. It would be too long to describe, but I remember going, 
Oh, oh. <laughs> it's, I can do something I, you know, that simple and get Something response. happens, endorphins, I don't know, so, but you get turned on. So beyond the family, what was the thing? I, I, I'm starting to use this phrase a lot. So I, I Besides real, prescient? Uh, yes. No, that's, today is the first time I've used prescient, and we have to look that up to see if I'm even saying it right. <laughs> because what's going to happen is that some idiot is going to listen to this because you are a very popular person. <laughs> sure, and then we're sure. going to have all these comments like, it's prescient, Gary was right, prescient. or it's you. both of you guys right, are stupid. And, and, yeah, or it's not even you're not even using, using the right it correctly. Word. Right. It, it's another name for wallpaper, you idiot. But what was the thing that flipped the switch where you went, "Oh, I can be an entertainer"? Was it a was it a, was a TV show? Was it a memory? Okay. I remember it. I remember. What, 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 what? I, I honestly have. Of course, an answer we to all that. remember that. There's no pre-interview here. I have an answer for that. <laughs> Now, I My was, producer didn't get to you with the notes? I grew up in a great time. I grew up in the 60s when we had Barney Fife on television. We right. had Red Skelton. We had Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. We had, you know, it was Lucy reruns, but we didn't know. But, you know, but so we strong had entertainment. strong entertainers who were entertainers individually, not stand-ups, but they themselves could make anything funny. You know, they were in a funny environment, funny writing, et cetera, et cetera. But great you comic actors. Great comic actors, and they could carry the – and I just loved them. To this day, there's nobody funnier to me than Barney Fife. And one of the first things I ever did on Saturday Night Live, welcome to The Rock. You know I mean? I still love – here at The Rock, we have some rules. <laughs> Rule number one, obey all rules. Anyway, um, which is still just the template for me. So I loved this, and then I'm doing a third-grade play, um, summer school third-grade play. Oh, yes. And, it w- and I was a prince, and I, I won the heart of the princess, and we're getting married, and she smiled. Her father was a dentist who had made horrible, gnarly teeth. So she smiled, and this beautiful girl became this hideous like, – that's – Power of teeth. That was part of the play, or this was personal. <laughs> this was the play. Okay, she smiled, go. and I passed. Because that out. sounds like a sadistic father. Yeah. Uh, and, and I got a huge laugh from this auditorium of parents and students because she smiled at me, and I and I passed out in a funny way. The fall. The fall. Now, was that part of the play, or was that improvised? It was improvised. <laughs> and I realized what I could do, and I thought I had a sense of timing and seizing the moment. And I'm not saying there's anything brilliant about passing out. But when you're in third grade, that roar of, oh my God, he made something happen that's not... I, it was a drug. I, I never got over. So, it. were you that kind of class clown? Were you? I making, became the class yeah, clown. You became that. Became that. Yeah. 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 And so, did that get you in trouble, or was it? What? Or were you the well liked? I mean, I you, was you the well liked. Okay. I, I am. So tr- even the teachers liked yes, you. Yes, I am a true sociopath. <laughs> it, it, my my goal is to be liked. So, but here, here, I, I was clever enough to learn that the way you get laughs and the way you extend this career through school is to learn to imitate everybody. You learn to imitate the gym coach. You learn oh, to imitate yeah. doc, you know, the, the principal, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody's entertained, but at the same time, nobody wants to cross you. You know, the principal's going, oh, my God, he's going to get up in front of everybody, and he's going he's gonna to start imitating me again. I don't want that. I'm going to be nice to this kid. I'm going to be nice to this kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because if they're not... Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Albrecht, everybody, you know, and then I would just go into, you know, so it was a, it was a, Is that what I sound like? Yeah. 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 Well, Bob Hope. <laughs> he did a- say to me once, Gary, 
whether or not you graduate, my life will go on just the same. <laughs> and that would be, isn't, that, isn't that a brilliant thing for a principal to say? And I went, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> I, get it. I am not in charge, and I don't really make as big a difference as I'd like to think. Yeah. By, by the way, is that basically the same uh, kind of philosophy that you got from every executive for the rest of your life? <laughs> right. Whether or not you get this part, my life will go on. The, the show will go on the same. The honey wagons will show up. There'll yeah. be craft service table. Whether or not you're there. So as you get through school and you're looking ahead, to, did you end up at Northwestern? Am I getting that right? Yes, you did. Wow. Okay. Did, you, did you do a modicum of homework, or do you just know me and like me that much? Um, yes, I went to Northwestern. Yeah. I, I'm, actually, I was purely a guess. Well, you're, you're, you're growing just, up in the Midwest. Everybody goes to Northwest. Well, Northwest. Yeah, then that's well, where it came from. And, you, and was it drama department? Was it no, theater? Was a, well, I have a great, great Northwestern story. I like to tell people that I was on the 10-year BA program, but I was bright and did it in six. <laughs> um, Northwestern, for me, was... Was I dropped out for two years? You know, I, well, l- let me go back though. When you t- when you said to your parents, "This is going to be my career," yeah. how did that go? My parents were great people. And they go, "Oh my God, this is going to be an incredible amount of money that we don't have." <laughs> oh. but we love the kid. This is where he's going. It, this it's this or prison, probably. So let's do what we can. So I put together with their help um, work study programs. I waited tables and the, I, I put right. it together. Now, this is the part that nobody's interested in except me and my therapist and apparently you maybe um I'll, it was I'll, it I'll was such you know. a burden on my parents that i dropped out to become an independent in the state of illinois so that i could get more financial aid oh interesting so i worked you know i worked in the coal mines for two, not literally but you know I, I did everything i could for two years independently and then i went back to school i got a beog grant and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that i could go to school um because it was important. I was with Julia So that's what was taking so long for you to get through. Yeah. yeah. No, people love to rib me. Last night, I'm seeing a bunch of Northwestern people. Kroger, what, how long did it take you? Seven years to graduate? I don't want to say. I worked my ass off harder than anybody, and I got and I did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's where Julia Louis-Dreyfus was going to school. Brad Hall, Paul Barras, Rush Pearson. All the people that became my comedy people, right. my mentors, my friends, and still are to this day. We did the practical theater in Chicago, which was an offshoot of Second City and such, such, such. That became the foundation of the career that I went on. That led to Saturday Night Live. And well, was, let's get to that, because um, that's, that's well, it's an interesting part of the story. Simply going chronologically here, but that is um, when you guys kind of found your voice. What was the process of starting that theater company? Because that's where you got discovered, and you got... You guys got brought in at a very odd time in the history of Saturday Night Live. And you actually just posted a really cool blog about this, a very short kind of about being summary. Fired of, and hired, yes. Yeah, or, and, or hired, fired, and hired. Uh, because here is the thing because I, I have been, I, I grew up at a time where Saturday Night Live hit me in my sweet spot, 1975, 76. I'm hearing about it from friends after like two episodes, and this is pre-internet, obviously. So word got around on this irreverent, I mean, it was literally yeah. my friend Brian Oakley, who stayed up late one night, saw a commercial where they were trying to jumpstart old people's hearts with this, you know, diehard parody. And he's like, I didn't even understand what I was watching. But was you knew so- it was magic. So I'm sneaking, because my parents are strict, I'm sneaking, and this is Central Time Zone in Texas, I'm sneaking up to watch this show I'm hearing about, and um, 
you know how like a lot of kids when they're growing up they're sticking towels under the door so that the pot smoke doesn't get yeah. out <laughs> i'm sticking towels under the door so my can't parents hear the tv and can't hear or see the light from the tv because i have to watch this right. show so this beloved show that that changes the zeitgeist that totally captures the pop culture imagination totally goes away at the end of that cast and they start anew and mm-hmm. there is that Weird year where yep. the Charles Rock the and the year. Gilbert God- Godfrey and those guys almost forgotten, and then this n- other new era comes along. And I'm t- trying to kind of remember well, my history <laughs> of it, but this is where you you enter into this world yeah. of this brand, which yeah. is highly touted and so respected and so revered. So you already are going up against something pretty rough yes. here. And 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 uh, and and yeah, you set the sorry table. for my diatribe. I'm going to no, drink I, coffee now, and you can talk. You set the table to understand. I, I want to point out because you know if, if if anybody's listening, okay, how do I how do I form a career? I do have some insight here. One of the brilliant things we did with the practical theater, which was me, Paul Barras, Brad Hall, and others, is um, we would do these little renegade guerrilla comedy shows, and and they would be these stream of consciousness. Some would be improvised, some of it would be written down from the improvs we do in rehearsals. You know, the, the, you know the process, and we'd put these little things together. Thrills and Glory, The Brothers Bubba, Scubba Hay, just these weird little <laughs> titles. And in each one, there would be three or four little gems. And then these things that you'd sort of sit through, they were a bit masturbatory, I can say that, right? I mean, we, we said zeitgeist. Yeah, you can say, yeah, we said pressure. And we said pressure. You can say anything you want. And, um, and so, but we knew what those were. So at the end of a few years, we took all of the good sketches from every show and we called it the 50th Golden Anniversary Jubilee. <laughs> And how long had he been doing it? Uh, a couple of years. Okay. So the 50th Golden Anniversary Jubilee were all of the hits, the things that we knew were were, were solid. You had t- It was road-tested, basically. It was all This is like tested. vaudeville. This is like the Marx Brothers going around right. and doing all their material to see what sticks. And Second City was very popular, and this is the early 80s. Did you train at all at Second City, I, or I was it all? The, I went through the classes. You did, okay. Uh, Julia was on the stage. But... Um, Right next door was this space called Piper's Alley, and it was empty. And Bernie Sollins gets this idea: I'm gonna, I'm gonna let those kids build a theater over here. I'm gonna, I mean, I'll sell the tickets. You know, all the people that couldn't see Second City, I'll take the spillover. I'll sell them drinks. I'll make all the money. Let these kids put on their little show. Yeah. So we put on that little show. It was a monster hit, monster hit, because it was really good. Great reviews. People at Second City are going. What the heck is, how come everybody's going over there now? Oh, wow. Caught the attention of Dick Ebersol, who was in that transition period. Yeah, he was the new guy once Lorne had well, moved, it, it, moved the, on. Gene Dumanian had that year that right, was that, sort of the forgotten The lost year. year the yeah. lost year. But Dick came on board. Now, Dick wasn't a funny guy, but he was with the beginning of the genesis of Saturday Night Live with Lorne Michaels. Right. He was a corporate guy. He kind of, we called him but, the George Steinbrenner of comedy. But, he a, knew but, but an experienced TV guy. Experienced TV guy. And came out of sports at that point? Came out of sports. Yeah. And he he realized he had these people in Eddie Murphy who was lightning in a bottle. Yeah, and and, and, and just a kid, just what, eighteen years old. Yeah, yeah when he joined and SNL. Joe Piscopo, and they were they started to make some real noise. There was some real chemistry and a great supporting cast of Mary Gross and, and Kim Kasarinsky, of course, etc. Also from Chicago, also right? From Chicago, I saw him in second. And yeah. that first year of Eddie Murphy, his career was already like he. It was almost like he was just. Taking off so fast. And the story that we heard was they were afraid of him getting lazy. So they hear about these rough and tumble guerrilla theater comedy people doing this really intelligent stuff. You guys. They, us guys. And they just hired us. So we were really hired 
to light a fire with Eddie Murphy. Well, apparently it worked because because the, <laughs> the moment you guys we were it, fighting like, for table scraps. Now, were you also were you also writing? Were you expected you, to be writing? Uh, yes, I, I mean mo- most cast members probably don't survive unless they either right. start writing or get written for you, you, right away. Basically, anything you do on that show that's good. You wrote. Now, that's not to say that the writers aren't, but the writers are going to write for Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo. It's, you know, they want their stuff on the air. They're not writing for this new kid, this fetus with tennis shoes that just got into town. You know, they're not going to write for me. So I had to write my own stuff. Right. So if I had a leading role, it would be my own. So right. I did write on the show. We all did. Julia wrote her own stuff. Brad wrote his own stuff. So if you were doing sketch comedy in Chicago, then SNL must have been a major goal a, a dream of that, it was I mean, it was such a dream that it was unheard of it wasn't a goal because like oh yeah right. th- that'll it's never like happen buying a lottery ticket sure i'm gonna win the 200 million. no it doesn't happen so it doesn't matter that it's dick Ebersol or whatever it is the it's brand it is the show so when you walk in that door what so it's you julia louis dreyfus uh brad hall and paul barras was and hired paul barras, yes and that and you guys were all part of that crew yes. in chicago so Tell me about that. I mean, I'm literally just thinking about the idea of being a, of walking in that door at Thirty Rock. What was that first day? Well, Tell me about that feeling. Uh, it, it was mind boggling. It was it was shivers. It was like, oh my god, this is where you yeah. know Belushi threw up. I mean, we, it, it was all. It, it already had a it history. Was myth- Already a history. The glory of it yeah. was firmly established. I'm in New York. What year Saturday is this? Saturday Night Live. It's 1982. Okay. I couldn't believe where I was. Couldn't believe that this is the table where Belushi and Aykroyd sat. That's his office? This is where Chevy Ch- – I mean, couldn't believe where I was. Studio 8H? I was I couldn't believe my fortune. And you hadn't really done any TV, had you? Not done anything. I'd hoped to get a, a steak and shake commercial that year. You know that was yeah. my that was my but goal. No lie. I mean, you had done live sketch comedy, but you had not done live television no. or and, any kind. And of- I remember the first show. Chevy Chase is the guest host. Brad Hall and I are playing effeminate art critics, uh, and, and one of Eddie's street characters, Tyrone. I don't even remember. You know, had this. Just horrible ex- exhibition, but the the you know, the intelligentsia of New York. Oh, this is brilliant, brilliant. But we're basically two gay art guys, mm-hmm. and I remember when that red light goes on, twenty million sets of eyes are on us live. No lag time either. You can't, you know, since the Charlie Rocket days, there's no lag. I mean, there was no delay. There, there, yeah, there was no delay. Oh, no yeah. delay. Yeah, the only thing they could do is delete something for the West Coast for feed. the West Coast. Right, that's, that was it. So that, yeah, that's so and there's remember, an oh so there's an extra God. level of freak out there. Totally. It's not only is this a national show, this is SNL. This is the show I, that I have aspired to want to try and even be associated with. But you're also going out live, going out live, and now on. On that show, we did some of the things that we improvised in the theater. There was this thing where uh, we did in the theater where I was a faith healer, but I w- really was just trying to find, you know, c- cop a feel on one's breast, saying, people. you know, <laughs> put my hand on your breast, I feel a virus in there. And, 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 and it was funny, and, and we did it live, and I was very comfortable in that environment because I was going through the audience, just like I always had. Right. But it was a wow. But the mistake that was made is that I think the producers wanted us to stand out and be, oh, these are the new kids, like the originals, those bad boys of comedy. And so they had us perform in the afternoon for Eddie Murphy and all the writers and all the staff. They perform our theater show in a room where you're otherwise eating bag lunches, just this, you know, carpet and, 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 you know, Worst environment possible. Worst environment possible. And it died. 
So everybody was saying, these are the kids? I mean, nobody was inspired by it. And, and, you know, honestly, we never really overcame that hurdle. I mean, over the years, I was there three years, I became great friends with writers. And, and I did, I've done some stuff that I'm proud of. I've done a lot of stuff like, oh, my God, was I, what was I thinking? What was I trying to do, you know? But there was, a, I mean, the, the knock on Saturday Night Live every season is that, uh, oh, it does, it's certainly not the so-and-so years. But the <laughs> right, fact is, right. almost every, I mean, you watch the first season of SNL. First of all, almost half of it is pre-filmed, pre-taped yeah. sketch uh, stuff that they did. Uh, people forget this. Uh, the other half, uh, the other third of it is, is musical. Musical. And, and, and the hits, even early on, because they're so revered now, we remember them. But yep. there were a lot of clunkers, and there there's, were a lot of clunkers. there's a, so so you were having to fight for you know you you have a couple of clunker sketches, and you're having to kind of fight for your position on the well, show. Well, you do, and, and 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 again, because I was so green, there was nobody you know there was nobody taking me or anyone under our, their arms going, hey, here's where you need to go here. Because I would you know there would be a sketch where I had one thing, maybe I'm the cop that knocks at the door, right? But because it was the only thing, rather than going, hey, quiet down, I'd go, hey, quiet down. I mean, I'd try to turn it into something. <laughs> you know, and I look at that stuff now, and I cringe. I just cringe. So you went, you 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 weathered the storm in the early part of that, and yep. then you also now you talked about this again in your blog. But this is fascinating to me because you kind of dodged a little bit of a bullet and made it into a whole different era. And many people consider this yes, one of the golden years, without a doubt. Um, but again, you're 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 having to fight against the fact that you've got pre-established. Faces and names that come in: Martin Short, Billy Crystal, to a certain extent, Christopher Guest. Not as high profile, but incredibly Incredible. creative and talented. Harry Shearer is in the mix there, yep. who had already been part of SNL and and left and then came back. And this, I mean, a ridiculous amount of talent. And there's you and Julia. Brad has been let go. Right. And Jim Krasinski was gone. T- Robin yeah. Duke was gone. Me, Mary, and uh, and Julia. Stayed. Yeah. Now. To me, tell us me, a, me, that, grammatically, that wasn't. A, I don't a, think at this yeah, point yeah, anybody expects us to actually. Right. <laughs> we, we set the table really well. We're for that, lucky we're we? forming sentences yeah. properly. Um, well, and let me tell you, here's what my saving grace was. Again, for those of you taking notes, because Julia Julia talks about this as well. This was not the most pleasant part of her career. No, either. no, she she hated it. Yeah, um, um, I'm a nice guy. I am. I'm an Iowa guy. I'm a nice guy. We can all agree. So they, everybody liked me, but I didn't build any momentum because I'm, I, I, I wasn't a shark. I didn't go in there and say, I demand that. I mean, I just didn't. I was just, That's what it takes, though, right? It, it does take that. And, and I'm not saying that to, to badmouth anybody. That's what it takes. You just realize that. that on that show, at some point, you realize, I have to push people out of the way if I'm going to get airtime. And I couldn't do that, and I didn't do that. So after the first year, there's budget cuts. and like, well, Kroger, we're not picking up your, your contract. But Brad and Julia, Brad had the news, and Julia is so, I mean, <laughs> she's just so amazing. I mean, even without a lot to do, you know, okay, there's something special here. So they they moved on, and I was let go after the first year. And I was, of course, heartbreaking. I was I was asked to give the, the, the commencement address at my high school. Oh. No one knew that, yeah, I'm a has-been after a year. And I, it was crazy. Rushing to follow your dreams, kids, like I did. Get out there and believe the in yourself. The least inspiring yeah, commencement they, address. Yes, you know, you're only as good as you believe you are. And, oh and even when you hit some obstacles. There will be forks in the road and days when 
you just want to kill yourself. Um, it was hard. Yeah. But here's what happened. Bra- well, Brad Hall, first of all, went into Dick Ebersole and he said, hey, you're making a huge mistake here. He's one of the funniest guys around. You just you didn't use him. You ignored him. You, you put him in the wrong. And no, he wait, said, Brad is going in and stepping well, up. Oh, Brad's totally stepped up. And he went into Dick Ebersole and said, look, I'm not. He didn't threaten him. But he said, look, you made a terrible mistake. Here's a, you know, use him. Use him. So I get this call from Dick Ebersole. I said, drive to uh, New York. And he takes me to, to, uh, to uh, Yankee Stadium. And we're sitting there. Oh, wow. uh, I don't have any money, um, but I want to bring you back. Will you come back for less money? <laughs> yeah, I mean, very few people negotiate for less, but I did. I came back for less. And he said, look, and if it goes well that year, you'll get a bump up, you know, and it, you'll get back on track. Now, is this unprecedented? I, I don't. It certainly I, was in my life. I, well, I certainly don't know of anybody in the SNL world. You know, I bet it is unprecedented. I think, I, I don't I think Chris Parman. Chris Parnell may be the only person that was let go and then brought back. And brought back. Besides you. Besides me. That's very unusual. So I came back for the second year. But I knew something now. And I sat in those writers' rooms. And I created some characters. I did one character called Needleman. He was a dentist. And he did it. And, you know, to this day, even though it broadcast once, people made an impression. And that was about the last thing I did that year. It was enough to bring me back when everybody was let go and they brought in Billy Crystal and Martin Short. And it really became, oh, my God, I'm playing with the big boys. Yeah. Um, they were the stars of the show. But I held my own. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that that's it's it's kind of a mixed blessing. Yay, I get to be back on the show. Oh my god, these people are already established. Everybody's they they've right. got established characters. Right. I mean, Short is coming in with SCTV stuff uh, already in his back pocket. Exactly. But did you you must have at least gotten the the kind of excitement of being around that energy. I was. There was an energy on the on the show that year that was different. And I was happy that the guys that I just Chris Guest, Marty Short, I Billy Crystal, I respected them so much. The fact that they liked me that you know I would be, hey Kroger, can you work up a a, a, a Robert Mitchum? Well, those are my, so I sort of work up a Robert Mitchum, <laughs> and and they go, oh, this guy's good. So they would bring me in. You know, uh, they said we're doing a talk show. Can you do Alan Alda? The blood on Klinger's apron is clashing with his paisley dress. <laughs> I just started working these things up. You know, I mean, I would just to impress these guys. So yeah. they started including me. Now right. again, I was B C level player, but I was playing with the big guys. But at least in this case, you know, you go from a year that. The, you know, you got your Eddie Murphy and Piscopo stuff, but here's true star power in a year where literally every episode there was something breakthrough, and you were probably creatively much more satisfied because much you more were satisfied. part and of it. And it was an election year, so they throw, "Hey Kroger, can you work up Walter Mondale?" Mr. Reagan started an arms race on Earth, and now he wants to extend it to the heavens. So, you know, it, it made them laugh. Is I that what on, Mondale sounded that's like? That's exactly what he sounded like. Uh, uh, the only criticism I ever got is I heard that Eleanor Mondale did not like her oh. father being. Because the whole thing was, you know, I, I thought I had a good idea, you know, putting a woman on the ticket. Oh, God. You know, what a horrible <laughs> mistake. I mean, I, mean I, I just sort of played with what was really happening. Right. And and who else? Who uh, any names in the writers' room around that time that we would know? I mean, because a lot of people well, Jim who, Downey was still there. Jim yeah. Downey was there, you know, from the beginning until the end. He may yeah. still be there for all I know. Um, you know, the guys I worked with: Elliot Wald, Nate Herman, Andy Kurtzman. I mean, they everybody goes on to you yeah. know, a development deal. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So let's talk. So th- that year ends. Um, 
and that's it. I mean, for practically mm-hmm. that entire cast. Yeah, I was ha- happy to move on, but everybody, nobody else wanted to do it another year. Nobody. They did. It was a one out for Marty and everybody, yeah. and they weren't going to build a show around me, so it was over. Yeah. It was just over. And that's when they again started from scratch. That was the next year. Was when Lauren came back. Lauren said, "I in. will come back if yeah. I can start over." Yeah. And that was not a good year. Great people: Robert Downey Jr., uh, you know, Anthony Michael Hall, oh, yeah, Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. That was a w- Joan Cusack. It was on it, paper that looks on amazing. Paper, yeah, it's, that was maybe one of the worst things yeah, they ever it, did. It, it, it was dreadful. So let's go life after SNL. And you've got so you had a certain level of cachet at that point because you had that brand behind you, mm-hmm. but you didn't admittedly become the A-level breakout right. guy. So, I was able to get auditions. Yeah. That's all I could do. You moved down here? I, I moved loaded to up Long- the truck, moved to Beverly. I had a wife and a parrot. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I had a wife and a parrot. And we moved here, uh, you know, the other, West Hollywood area. Right. But uh, because of SNL, I got an agent, ICM, you know, uh, uh, um, and I got auditions. And then, and then and, and in those days, Larry, it wasn't like it is today. And really, honestly, here's what I hear this from is, my... This is, again, now, what year are we talking? Mid-80s. Okay, 84, 85. There were jobs out there. I counted in my book 60 auditions a month. And that's, you know, commercials, voiceovers, cartoons, theatrical, et cetera, et cetera, 60 auditions a month. My friends and I were saying, oh, yeah, I've had 60 in the last five years. Maybe. You know what I mean? It's just changed so dramatically. Yeah, yeah. But in those days, it was a numbers game. And I would just get out there, get out there. And because I didn't have any you know, preconceived notion that, oh, you shouldn't do this. and you, Maybe I should have been smarter. But but well, I just you mean in terms of you were trying everything? I was trying everything because I enjoyed everything. I wrote jokes for game shows. I mean, I just well, I think there was I a just time, want to make a living. I mean, there are still people who I mean, my son's going through this in New York right now as an aspiring actor. He's being told by managers when he goes in and has these meetings, you know, make up your mind what you are. Right. But the rest of the world these days is more like what your attitude was then. It was, you really kind of have to be good or at least kind of good at a lot of things in order to survive. Right. You can't be... I heard Tom Hanks talk about this once. He said, it used to be, if you were really good at something, you did your work, you sat back, and somebody would come find, <laughs> somebody you. Come find you. And this day, these days, you have to kind of create your own work, and you kind of have to put a lot of different things out there. So you, in that way... You were probably being told, "What are you doing? You're right. spreading they, yourself right. They thin. don't know who you are, Gary. Yeah. They don't. Are you a funny guy? Should we put you this way? And are if you you're a that, host? Are you, are you exactly? But I you could do all that stuff. But I could, and I enjoyed it all. Yeah. And, and so, so give me the the kind of the overview of the of the jobs you started, kind of you know throwing out there and that you started being seen doing. Well, you know, I did get a development deal yeah. and uh, I had several pilots that failed. I had some shows that got picked up but only lasting half a season, you know, uh, uh, Spies with George Hamilton. I look oh back on today. You know, it was a fabulous show and in another time, in another time slot, it might be on the air, you know, you never for, know. for seven, Just ten years. never you, kind you of never. clicked, right? So I, I put together a career of that. Um but at the same time, there would be these downtimes, and and so I, I one day just started writing uh, for theme parks. <laughs> you know, I mean, what? I'm, I'm sorry. I know I made a huge jump. Well, here, here's the thing. you <laughs> asked, you asked me for the story, and I don't really remember the story. I, Do you? There was a is t- there a reason why? Well, is this, there was is a this time a, when I would say, "God, I can't get arrested in this town." I, no, actually, I can get arrested. <laughs> I, I discovered that. Well, you know what? I don't know. I went through a divorce. Um, 
I, I, it was not a drunken haze. I, I've never. Well, I was going to ask guy. you. I mean, there must have been. Everybody has it. You had a dark period. Well, I had an unemployment period. Yeah. You know, I went from a whole lot of money. Okay, here's a story, boys and girls. This is what you're looking for. Seriously, here's oh, a story. All right. I, and you know, for no reason that I understood, I just dropped off. I didn't get a job. Didn't get a job. Two years ago, I didn't get a job. I, I made. I, I maybe made ten thousand dollars, and I didn't get a job. Didn't get a job. Julia now is is Seinfeld starting. She's on the cover of. This. They're comparing them to the Beatles. <laughs> I remember, I'm living in a little apartment in, in Sherman Oaks, right? Or Studio City. And, and I went to the cash machine, and I only had $19, so I couldn't take out the $20, which is the minimum amount to take out, to buy some food. <laughs> and I remember I went back to my apartment, and Julia's on television. I think there's a magazine with her on the cover. And I found a candy bar in the couch. And I, oh. um, this is not a joke. I have some nutrition here, a little candy bar. I mean, I was that broke. I'm walking down the Ventura Boulevard <laughs> and, and, you know, just to collect my thoughts. And inside a restaurant was George Hamilton with his ex-wife, Alana Stewart. And I'd worked with George, you know, back on, in the glory days. On that show. And I said, hey, George, how you doing? Oh, Gary, great. I'm doing a new talk show with my wife. What are you doing? Well, if, in this business, I'm great. I'm doing great. God, I had the best candy bar you could have. You know, I'm... <laughs> I'm doing great, George. Uh, and he said, uh, I said, who's writing for you? Who's producing? Oh, Reicher Entertainment. And, blah, 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 blah. and I said, hey, you know, I'd love to get on board there. Well, you know, we're full staff. And I said, hey, no, no, hey, George, listen, listen. You know, things are going great for me, but I would love to just come in and write stuff for you. You don't have to do anything with, with me. Just let me come in and work on it. And if you like what I'm doing, um, maybe you'll hire me. Well, where do I lose there? Because he knew that, you know, we have yeah. a good chemistry. Yeah. So I came in every day before everybody and left after everybody, and I wrote material and ideas for George and monologues. Well, guess what? It was really good. They hired me. Hired me as a writer. I became a producer. And as the producer, I hired myself as the announcer. <laughs> so I went from candy bar in the couch to three jobs. So, and the, I get goosebumps telling that story because the thing is, is I sucked it up. I faced reality, I put my pride aside, and I used the skills in a variety of ways that I had developed over the years, being able to write, being able to pitch, et cetera, et cetera, and I turned it into a career. Now, and here's the nice part, bring out the music. Um, I've never had to look back. I've been employed ever since. I've made a good, no, I, my that, marriage tanked. But, that you know, could have been a moment, though, that went very poorly. Very, very. George could have said, get lost. Well, and also, it's just, you know, again, I talk about this with a lot of people who uh, there's the uh, the other guy didn't show up thing, yeah, you know, right. that, that your career turns on, turns on a dime. I mean, uh, I've talked with a couple of people about that who, you know, the guy quit or the guy left or the guy didn't show up and I filled in. And it's not that you're not talented enough or not that you're not as good as the other guy. You just happen to be the right, see the right person right, at the right at the time. time. Um, had you not seen George Hamilton in a restaurant right. at Ventura Boulevard, but, you don't know necessarily, not that you would have get, gone into spiraled into despair, but... But the job is this. Yeah. The job is this. Again, anyone that's looking for, okay, how do you do this? Yeah. Because everybody goes through Your this. job, and it's, it's the same paradigm in sports, is to be ready to play. Yeah. Your job is to be as healthy and smart and active and as smiling as, as, as you can. Your job when you're not working is to figure out, hey, you know what? I am pretty good at writing. Do some writing. Your job is, yeah, why not take some singing lessons? Your job, you know, I learned to fence during that time. <laughs> and I've never fenced since. <laughs> But I'm ready when the when you go down, you know. I'm ready to fence for you, Lair. Which is a good thing because uh, I have my swords with me. <laughs> ah! um, let me ask you a little bit about the, that period. How did you find any? Were you, did you have resentment 
in watching what Julie was doing. And she and Brad were married by this yeah. time, and they were kind of this Hollywood power couple. He was doing a lot of writing, not necessarily as high profile, but definitely part of things. Oh, yeah. Um, did you struggle with that a little bit? Those oh, yeah. were the guys you came up with. Those You guys were the tight little band that went through so much together in those early days. And was that tough? No, it was tough. It was never resentment. And it, and it was never You didn't anger. harbor ill will toward There them. was no ill will. It's like, well, good heavens, they deserve this. Yeah. And, but I would feel like, well, I deserve it too. But at the same time... A little woe is me. A little woe is me. But I always realized, it, but it, it is the path you take and the, and the choices that you make. Right. Um, they did things differently and it worked out that way. I did things this way and it worked out this way. Now, I'll never have as much money in the bank, I'm pretty sure, you know. I, I mean, I, I'm sure I'll never have the options of Julia Lutra. You know, I mean, she's, she's I mean, that's fantastic. I'm so proud to say, oh my God, I drove down Lakeshore Drive with her giggling like school children when we got SNL. I mean, that's my story. Right. That, that's the part of the story I get to tell. I'm, I'm good with that yeah. now. Yeah, you had those moments. And, and look, she had a terrible time on SNL and was yeah. able to turn it into something pretty amazing. I mean, is you have to be so excited Look, to I'm see I'm not betraying the, her here. I'm no, not betraying her here, but no. guess what? I, I did this little part for um, a, a movie called The Big Picture with Chris Guest. Yes. And I had a little memorable role, but it was just a day shoot. But I'm in this thing. And Chris said, yeah, you, guess we tried out for this role over here, one of the lead women. I, I, he said, Julia. I said, yeah. He says, oh, God, she was just awful. I just felt so bad for her. And I thought, well, and I remember thinking, well, you know what? Julia's the nicest person. We know she's so talented, but maybe, you know, maybe this just isn't going to work for her. <laughs> I remember thinking that. And not because I wanted it, but I think, oh, well, you know, what a shame to hear that your dear friend had a lousy audition. Maybe she doesn't audition well. Yeah. She, she figured it out. <laughs> she figured it out because she never misses a beat. She's, the, she's amazing. Yeah. She's uh, amazing. She has become. And, but the difference is, if you do watch her during SNL, she was... She, she filled the part. She did a nice job. But what she's become is vastly different oh, it's, than it's what she was. very, very different. Yeah. Yes. I mean, she is probably one of the most respected she, comic she's, actresses. She's ever. in the book yep. that isn't written yet. But when the big book of comedy television stardom is written, she's in the first page. So now, I'll say, so Hollywood, you reject. You leave the traffic. You leave the smog. You leave the 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 sinful vices of this horrible place that is. So, God, I need to get out of here. What am I doing? Do you want to just leave? I actually feel like I. Can we end this now? And can I come with you? Um, but. Where did the political thing come from? You end up in Iowa. Oh, interesting. Now, because I don't know. Can we plug my blog? Oh, we're going to, yeah. GaryHasIssues.com, GaryHasIssues.com. It's, it's really great. And I'll when I do the little intro and talk about you when you're not here, <laughs> which you will only know about once you listen <laughs> once to the podcast, to and you'll go, that piece That's of crap. Um, I didn't have any inclination when you and I have worked together a little bit on the couple of things we did before you left town that you had that either passion or that leaning um, is that something that came out once you kind of started this new life, or have you always been active? Because yes no. you have become very vocal, yeah. and you have become very controversial in your world. In my world, yes. Um, your Facebook posts are, wow, people <laughs> just jump, and, yeah, you, and the, you love the, it, the, don't the you? crazy train You love it, don't I you? Do, I, do lo- I do love it, I, not, not to cre- make people mad and not to create anger, not, not, not at all, but to create the conversation. Yes. You, you look, I'm not going to move the needle from here to here, but maybe I just keep the mo- needle from moving moving back too far. Well, have you always been politically I, I grew active? up in a very political home in terms of a political consciousness. My, leaning, my, my parents were always leaning 
left. Pretty oh, really? always leaning towards social consciousness. My parents are very conservative in terms of the way they. My father's passed away. Uh, uh, the way they live and financially very conservative. My never a dime in credit card debt. I mean, I grew up in that world. But my parents always had a sense of social justice. It's like that's not right. You can't do this. Every, you know, I grew up with the, the concept of egalitarianism. Everybody deserves the respect. And so, so there were liberal leanings in a fairly conservative house. Very much. All very right. much. But I grew up with this consciousness of we, if, if government has a function, it's to make sure that this system works so that it's fair for all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big statement, but, but basically you need to fight for that because the tendency is always for everything to become commoditized and move toward working like a business. Well, guess what? The business of people is not a business. The, the idea is to keep it fair. So when I went back, and I didn't do that much here because you're distracted with survival. Right. Survival. So in the Midwest, I'm a creative director. Yes, I put in long days. I, I travel. All, I, you know, I'm very busy. This is a success, successful advertising. Very agency. successful. Mud advertising. And, um, but... I am in a world that Iowa is a very, you know, Iowa get, takes a lot of shots of being, oh, what, you know, what do you got? Flushing toilets out there? <laughs> you know, a bunch of pigs? No, it's a very, it's a very politically active state. That's why it's first in the nation. Yeah, Ma- mean, Madison is is a, known as a very li- liberal hotbed. Right. We're, we're no liberal hotbed, but, you know, we're, we're 51, 49, or one way or the other all the time. There's yeah. a very progressive consciousness. Look, we, we threw out the Defense of Marriage Act long before California. Yeah, we're right. always, I mean, if you want to go way back, we ratified the 19th Amendment long before the rest of you. Well, where does that come from? Because that this is not a typical, if you're going to go, um, you know, stereotype, that is not a classic it, Midwestern. It, it doesn't seem that way, but in a way it is. There is a sense in the Midwest that everybody has a right to their own business. And that we, I got no business telling them how to live or women how to not vote or this, that, or black people or, or the gays or whatever. You know, there's a lot of consensus of, well, let's just stay out of that. Right, let's make right. sure government stays out of that. So that's a progressive movement. Um, you know, we went blue the last two major elections. Right, right. Now, we've gone bred probably more, but at the same time, um, education has always been huge. Now, it, there's a tendency <laughs> that education breeds progressivism. You know, the more people know, the more educated they become, it's a natural inclination to expand the thinking toward progressive ideas, bigger ideas, ideas that make society a better place. And so that, that consciousness is very much part of Iowa. So I just started getting very involved. People would say, would you work on my campaign? I started writing campaign commercials, stumping. Uh, Joe Biden comes to town, and guess what? I get to be his proxy and speaking for him. And that really ignited my political consciousness. And I just haven't let go. And I realized that if people talk about my little blogs and my little posts and if they get into fights about it, that's okay. It's one of the things. I would say it's one of the three – my children – my friends and my political life are the building blocks that I... Well, it, it definitely seems to have become a passion. It is something that you are not just putting out there to you know spout an opinion, but you, you're very thoughtful about it. I mean, I, I enjoy reading it, and whether I necessarily disagree with you or not, and it, frankly, I agree with you almost every single time, but um, it, you, you get the sense that this is something that is like this new layer for you that you really want to pursue. But, but does it mean a political career? I mean, Maybe. You, I you, hope so. Because I'm, I'm surprised by now that you haven't kind of well, dabbled I'll, I'll in I'll fill it. in that little piece. Okay. But I feel that what 
I'm doing is important because it's not important that I'm doing it. What's important is that we get more people to do it mm-hmm. because there is a tendency now with faux news. And I'm not just picking on Fox News, but, you know, news has become – journalism has become entertainment. If we can't procure the truth out of what's happening in the world, we can't make intelligent or the correct decisions. Well, and we're also not getting ex- the truth. It also extends to the nature of social media, which is the quick hit, which is, you know, somebody will just gay, say, you know, fuck Obama or, right. you know, and and that's it. And, and there that's is- it. And opinions are being formed on these memes that are uninformed. Yeah, that are, less, right. that are, that are less than a fully formed sentence. Right. Even worse than what you and I have been doing. Yes. And they, yeah, yeah. The, the prescient level. That so, you know what? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Stop saying it. Now I'm really paranoid that we've been saying it wrong. But but um, I even forgot where I was going with this. But, but it, it's important to keep... The more you know, the better. I don't expect everybody to be as interested as I am. You should be more interested in who's coming to the barbecue. You should be more interested in your kids' grades. I want people to be interested in their lives. But the more that we can inform them, break in through the bad news that they're getting, the memes, the social media that sucks, the more information we can get. Otherwise, I do believe we're on a fast boat to the third level of hell. Well, that's why I don't engage in these ridiculous discussions, and that's why I always, I really just balk at even looking at social media around election time, because it's just people throwing out yes. just these uninformed... They're not telling you who they are. They're telling you who the other, how yeah. much the other person stinks. It's a regurgitation of something they've heard but from... But here's the problem. Yeah. They do it because it works. Because people tend to... We're in media. People tend to believe what they hear. Yeah, if they hear if it they six hear times it, oh, instead yeah. of two times, yeah, yeah I believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah if I heard you hear it that, over and over you know, and over again, then he you... He likes Guatemalan schoolboys, yeah. you know, because you heard it six times. And that's what I worry about. And that's Nothing what wrong I, with Guatemalan schoolboys, No, well careful how yeah, you say yeah. that. <laughs> I don't know where that's going. <laughs> okay. There goes, your... well, there goes my political career. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. Say I that. Well, <laughs> I'm so glad we could destroy. But my political career is, yes, I, I would like to be a, a state senator. I'd like to be a, a, a senator in Washington. I would like to do that. What does but that take? It, it takes how... uh, a marriage, not because it's not okay to be divorced, but because somebody has to keep the home fires burning. Yeah. You know, you can risk your job. You can have nothing. I don't have a lot of money. I don't, you know. Are you, I don't want to dig into the. Oh, dig, dig. No, no, no. I mean, you, you are are you sharing the kids? Is that? Is yeah, that... I, you know, joint custody. But yeah. joint custody sucks. I get my kids every other weekend. Yeah. You know, it, it is what it is. They live an hour away. Um, that, that's one of the tougher aspects of my life. But here's the good part, Larry. And this will never happen to you. And besides, your kids are 85 years old now, so it doesn't Well, matter. I have one that I know of, and I believe he's 23. <laughs> he's 23. Okay. But, um, you know, you, you married well. Um, but God forbid if anybody goes into that place where, oh, my marriage didn't work. Here's the w- silver lining. I'm a better dad. Because I treasure every moment with my kids. I plan it. We're going to hockey this day after tomorrow. I mean, I plan everything. Yeah. I want to be a, a role model to them. I, I really want to be a presence in their life. Not that I would have not been a great dad, as you've been a great dad, if I had been married. But because I was given that hand, I go, I need to treasure and value all of this all of the time. Mm-hmm. I need to be playing. I can't sit on the couch and go, I'm too tired, kid. Dad's been working all day. I don't get to do that. And that's been a blessing in a way. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, that comes to what I've talked about with many people. As I've, many people, this, you're like my sixth <laughs> podcast. But uh, but the trend has become, and in listening to other podcasts and other people that have inspired me, work ethic is not just a couple of words, and right. and work ethic applies to every aspect of your every life, every aspect, and, and not just career, and critical to career because if you hadn't 
been somewhat insistent with George Hamilton about yeah. that situation. If you hadn't, and that wasn't about being intrusive, and that wasn't about being, you know, annoying. That was about sticking to your guns about what you believed you could do, and then following through. And that goes to family, and that goes to your, you know, political, you know, passion. It's 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 digging in, it's finding that passion, and then staying with it day after day after day. It's it's a tired old cliche, but it is believing in yourself. It's never giving up on yourself. Right. It's real easy to fall into the woe of, oh, the traffic sucks, I'm not going to go out today, the air is bad, I'm not going to go out today, oh, I, I just feel bad because I'm not working. It's, it's easy to go into those traps. I was given a couple of gifts. One was from my father who said, get up before everybody. If you have more done by 8 o'clock than everybody else does by the end of the day, guess how much farther ahead you are. And so I, I, dude, I get up and write those blogs at 4 o'clock in the morning. But you know what that means? That means I have to go to bed. So rather than have, you know, play around till 11 o'clock, I think, hey, folks, I got something that's really important to me, and this is how I do it. I make, I make smart choices mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Somebody said to me once, you know, when you get out to L.A., most people feel like, hey, I'm here. I was the star of my high school shows. They're going to find me in a soda shop. No. Do something proactive every day. Go look at the equity call board. Do some push-ups. Be ready. Be ready. Learn learn to brandish a sword. Ride horses. Whatever it is, do something every day to improve, not just you as an actor or a writer, but as, as a healthy human being able to cope with whatever's going to happen, which you don't know. I didn't expect any of this. None of it. Yeah. Didn't expect you to call and say, talk about yourself for an hour. Didn't expect that. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's one of the things, again, I, I keep going back to this, but most people have a dream, and that dream never happens the way they think it did. Now, you may have had the dream about SNL, but certainly the SNL dream didn't go the way you would have wanted it to go. But what you usually have to do is adapt the dream as it comes along. Yes, right. You have to be able to throw out the old one to, in order to embrace the new one and go, oh, I can get just as excited and just as passionate about this and use my particular set of skills to show people that I can do that well. Larry, I have one thing. I live for this. How old are you, Kroger? Wow, you look good. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I require now. You know, here, here's the thing. You do look good, by the way. <laughs> You're a very handsome man, and I'm not coming on to you unless you are. Because why is the chair sliding over? Unless you're open to it. (laughs) Hey, I lived here 20 years. I'm, you know, I'm a progressive. Isn't that what we do? We're all hedonists. But you know what? I have the same energy today that I did when I was 17. I just do. I have the same energy. Things hurt a little more, different places at times. You know, the mornings are a little tougher. But I have the, you know, once that cup of coffee is kicked in, I have the same energy, same enthusiasm, same hopes. You know, I'm hoping to go. My goal is to live longer than everybody I know except for my children. I love that. <laughs> I love that. All right. So um, now that we've been inspiring, let's be incredibly indulgent, at least on my part, and talk about uh, a little part that you did for me. Uh, oh, in, yes. We, in, I forgot. Yes. In, in a part of your life that we didn't touch on at all, that uh, of the restaurateur, oh, my. your Simi Valley Italian your restaurant fantastic phase. fantastic movie that I'm going to repost it and you're going to repost it, uh, you know, the comedy team of Pete and James. And actually, James Arnold Taylor was my very first and episode of Snark boy, Movie. boy, is that a font of talent. Uh, yeah, incredible. And um, that was, again, this project of passion, this idea that we had, and James and I were both 
working at full-time jobs, which is the worst time in the world to go, hey, let's make a feature-length <laughs> mockumentary. <laughs> On and, our own, our own money, yeah. our own time. And, and, and by the way, we have no idea what to do or how to do it. Um, but we recruited you for a scene in which you played a version of yourself. A, a version of myself. A restaurateur, because I... I oh, it's your wife going, wait, honey. Are, are you pretending to have a podcast again, honey? <laughs> I think that, I think, <laughs> that security. Thing, Larry's in the room again. I think maybe it's, it's finally that offer we've been waiting to actually put that out on DVD. I know you need to go, but uh, I want to. Yeah, do you need to answer the phone? Hello, this is great. Studio. Uh, let me tell you the little story while while Larry's gone here. That's that's a guy named Ed with a very thick accent uh, calling, obviously, from some other country uh, with technical support on something that I have no idea he was talking about. So um, so so I, I you know, I, I, a whole chapter of my life is I bought a restaurant, an Italian restaurant. I created this Italian restaurant in Simi Valley. Really a good one, by yeah, the way. Yeah, really good. Really I really loved, loved our time it, there. It was, I believe if you have a dream, go figure out a way to do it. Yeah. And I loved the restaurant. I loved it. My ex-wife hated it and i think it's one of the reasons for the ex I, honestly i think that experience was so dreadful to her that she just started hating me oh wow but i loved it so you guys come in and james is playing james and he sits down with me and i own this restaurant i'm gary kroger i think yeah and, and we, I, we improvise this scene and i get to and i actually get to improvise a moment where yeah. i say gary, gary i've never heard of gary kroger and james says uh you know the year on saturday night live you know uh so and so and so and so and billy crystal and i go Billy Crystal on Saturday Night Live. I played the dumb version of myself. Yes, uh, but but one of the things I've always I, I don't you know it's like here, here's a great gift. I don't care. You know what I mean? If somebody insults me or they call you sucked on us, I don't care. Not because I don't care about their opinion. It just doesn't mean anything. Right. Really. So taking those kinds, I just loved it. So what's happening is we're just drinking and getting bottles of wine and bottles of wine. And I'm me, so I'm married. I have a kid. You know, they, I think my kid comes into the scene. Like okay, the, but the more wine I drink. I latent homosexuality comes out of me. I mean, this is the not real me. Right. But, and again, I'm not picking on, there are people that I've known that when they start to drink, they, they, they're, they're attracted to a different they're, gender. Yeah, there's an aspect of their personality yes. that suddenly And so I decided, realist. wouldn't it be funny if Gary Kroger, when he, the more he drinks, he just starts coming on to this guy, and you're a good looking guy. And I said to him, James, you know. I want to buy your groceries. I just want to buy your groceries. I want to wake up with you. I want to hold you. <laughs> and the problem with that is that I didn't know exactly where you were going in the scene. <laughs> didn't and either. me being a... a, a, a a decent director, but B, the worst cameraman of all time, because <laughs> I I'm, I'm actually shooting. The camera's not only shaking, you hear in the background, if you listen very closely in the soundtrack to this scene, you hear... <laughs> I cannot stop laughing. I don't think you saw it coming to. I just uh, want to hold you. <laughs> and I wish, I know you need to go. I wish we had time to tell the story that that is based upon, but I'm not sure we can because that actually happened Blair, to it, you. It did. And um, I would like to come back. <laughs> okay. You know, Gary uh, Kroger, part two. I, I, look, look I'll be, I came back here to, because a, a friend lost his brother and I wanted you know, to, to be with him. And, and I see my own brother here. He lives in San Diego. And I thought, well, let's connect with a few friends. I'm sending a message out here to all of the middle aged people who have been in the business, no matter where you are. Let's not drop the ball. Let's think about doing stuff together. So you call there, and I'm like, yeah, we'll find, let's find a way to do it. Let's keep, let's keep the movement going yeah. and connect the dots. You, you know, know why? Because this doing this right here is something that I have been thinking about. I mean, the last three, four, five years of my life has been 
going back and saying, I always wanted to do that, and I just don't yep. know what held me back. So I went and took improv classes at UCB and went through the whole prog- program, and I was the oldest guy in every class, and guess what? Nobody gave a shit. Nobody. I was good. I did yeah, great right. work. I met amazing people. I, I, start, I got let go from a, the first job I've ever been let go from in radio, and I was like, what what's next? What do I do? And I and I still stay in radio. I'm still working in it. But at the time, I realized I love this idea that I can sit and talk to people and have conversations and yep. put it out into the world and see who bites because I'm good at this and I'm fascinated by it. And these are the people. And luckily, I haven't burned any bridges that I know of. And everybody I've talked to has said yes. And these are the conversations well, I love here's having. Here's the thing: when it's a conversation, like I mean, honestly, this has been a little primer. For living. That's <laughs> I mean, there. And this is what I want to do. I, I don't know if I'm helping people or just entertaining people, but this is what, this is the new phase in my life, which is I'm just going to do the stuff. I used to be, I would think of something and go, mm-hmm. yeah. And now I'm going to think of something, and with, if I love it, I'm just going to do it. And, and you know what, Lair? Since I'm going to outlive you, I'm going to tell this story at your wake. <laughs> I am. I'm about this commitment since I'm outliving everybody. Really? Yeah. Not unless you survive my sword! sword. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely ending! <laughs> Bravo, my Thank friend. Thank you, Gary. Dude, that was awesome! What fucking fun! What fucking fun was... I hope it's as good as you think it was. Get a monkey. Get a monkey! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.